0: Hey, good morning, church family. Brandon Zisky, your lead pastor at Austin Oaks Church. Um, wherever you're at this morning, we are truly honored and humbled that you invite us into your home. We are thrilled to be here worshiping Jesus with you. And that's our heartbeat here at Austin Oaks Church, is that we strive to be a church that is simply about Jesus. We want to help you meet, know, and follow Him, because we believe that when you encounter Him, it literally changes everything. And so, hey, uh, for those of you who are in our house churches right now, we would love for you just to say, hey, uh, post on our Facebook, YouTube, whatever. We would love to see And again, Continue to post pictures of your time together. We would love to see what God is doing in your small pods all around the city of Austin. And we know that as the days kind of continue to come and as we try to figure out this whole COVID-19 and how we're gonna come back, being the church, we do know that small groups are an important aspect of what we do here at Austin Oaks Church. And so we wanna encourage you to join a house church community as you feel safe and, and, and able to do so. And so our letting you know, our plan is to simply to be safe, smart, and gospel-driven. That's a little bit about who we are, um, and also we are truly um, grateful um, that we get this opportunity on a weekend like this to be um, remembering those who served in all different forms of military, but also we're gonna take some time just to even you know, give thanks and remember those who are on the front lines that are serving you know, all over the world right now as it relates to um, the coronavirus. And so if you have served in any capacity in our United States of America and give us the freedom that we have to enjoy. In fact, like this is an important thing for us to remember. Like We have religious freedom because you went ahead and fought for the freedom that we have. And we're thankful that we're able to do it this way. But we also want to say thanks to those who are on the front lines who are working tirelessly, putting themselves in harm's way for the safety of Americans, for the safety of people all around the world. And so we say thank you so much. And if you know people like that, I want to encourage you out there that viewing just text Text someone. Text those who you know who have served. Text those who you know who are nurses, doctors, um, EMTs, and other people who I know I'm forgetting, and just say thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. also, I want to encourage you, um, if you weren't able to join us last Thursday, we had a prayer and worship in our courtyard, and it was a beautiful time. You know, it, it was just a sweet time to be able to feel a little unrestricted in some aspects. And we were still practicing social distancing, but we have a huge courtyard. And so two weeks from now, we're going to do it again. I want to encourage you to check that out and to come participate in that. All right. It was the year 2000. And um, some of you don't even remember 2000 because you weren't born yet, but some of you are like, you know, that was 20 years ago. One, I don't even have the memory to remember that. But in 2000, I was 20 years old and I remember this like it was, you know, happened yesterday. The age of the GPS has arrived. Right. Not only that, I mean, GPS has been around. The technology has been around, but it wasn't to the public. It wasn't given to the public till about 2000, and shortly thereafter, smartphones started to show up. And so, you know, when GPS showed up, you would have like TomTom Tom or Garmin, and you would put this device in your car. But then smartphones showed up, and you were able to get that, you know, GPS app on your phone and figure it all out. And now, just letting you know, I, I was very skeptical of that because I actually still today, I'm very, very convinced. I have a really good intuitive sense of direction. And so to the degree that I was arrogant enough to believe that I knew directions better than a bunch of satellites out there in the universe that can like see things and give the information that you need. Like I, I just had that audacity. So I was a little bit wary of it. Okay. So I got my first smartphone uploaded, you know, one of those Google apps, whatever it was. I can't remember which one of it was, if it was Apple Maps or Google Maps or whatever, Waze didn't exist at that point. I'm a Waze fan right now. Um, But I remember going to Minneapolis, never driven downtown Minneapolis. This is when I was living in Minnesota. My buddy was in a band, and he wanted us to come watch him play at this club. And it was downtown Minneapolis, no idea how to get there. And I was driving to Minneapolis, and also I was like, I better pull up the GPS so I can know how to get there. So one of the things that the GPS didn't do, it didn't tell me that downtown Minneapolis was full of one-ways, okay? I mean, Minneapolis downtown is a very confusing place. Not only that, they have these things right down there. It's like you got 1st Street and 1st Ave, then you got 2nd Street and 2nd Ave, 3rd Street and 3rd Ave, and so on and so forth. So it was very, very confusing. Now, GPS, it had this light, you know, and it's got that like really gentle voice that's like, you know, turn here and 0.2 miles. And and it was first street. But I had this sense that GPS was taking the long way around. And I just didn't feel right. Like it was telling me the right directions. And so I got to this intersection when it was like your turn on first street is 0.2 miles ahead and you're going to turn right. Well, at the stop sign, I noticed I was at first avenue. And it looked like First Avenue would get me quicker to the club than First Street. Now, my wife is noticing what I'm thinking, and she's like, Brandon, you need to listen to the voice. Listen to the voice. Don't trust your gut. And I just, at that moment, I was like, listen, I don't trust technology. I don't believe that they know the right thing to do. So I just took matters in my own hand, and I turned left onto First Avenue, all the while ignoring the call to go to First Street. Or First Street, First Avenue. I don't know which one it is. See, look how confusing that was. I take the left, and within a few short moments, two things happen. One, the GPS immediately goes recalculating. And like, honestly, who has time for that? Like, I don't want to sit there and wait. I'm not going to stop in the middle and wait for a GPS to finally catch up to speed where I'm at. Recalculating. But then what I noticed was, well, I put myself in a very precarious situation. I turned left And I thought maybe it was a one-way street, but the reality was, (laughs) this is absolutely embarrassing. True story, I'm not kidding. What I discovered was I am now driving on the metro rail system. I'm literally driving on train tracks. All the while, because I thought I knew better, my intuition was there. I mean, it was nighttime, I couldn't see. I was just like, this is the right thing. And next thing you know, I'm on the train tracks and my wife, you could just see it in her face. Like, what are you doing? Are you gonna kill us? You better get off. And all of a sudden, the whole time, the GPS is going, please, you know, it sounded like it was saying, please, it didn't say, please, like, turn right here. Pass it, recalculate, turn right here. And I wouldn't listen. I was so stubborn. I was like, I know what to do, I know what to do. And I just yanked myself left and got ourselves completely lost. And I was thinking to myself the whole time, ever since reflecting on this situation, I was like, this is so true of like how sometimes we are with God, okay? Like there's these moments where we have this tension where we trust God enough to start out, but we don't trust him the whole way. Cause at some point, like, let's just be honest. We have all been in circumstances or situations where you feel like, you know, God's leading you this one way, but then this thing happens and you're like, I don't know. And you take matters into your own hands. You start to meddle. You start to get a little bit involved and you start to call the shots. It was the same thing with this. Like I trusted the GPS enough to open it up, to lead me to this spot. But then when I started to think that GPS was leading me wrong and that I knew a better way, I took matters into my own hands. And every single time I take matters into my own hands, spiritually, I always lead myself into a horrible situation. We do this with God so often. And this is why we're in this series where we get this call to be still. To be still and to know that he is God. And as we talked about last week, this command to be still, it's not like, hey, take some time to pause, sit by a stream and meditate. Like when we, st- when we studied that psalm, we discovered in the Hebrew, it was really the tense of saying, stop what you're doing. Stop meddling. Be still. Let me be God in this situation trust me. And this is a good reminder for us because we love to meddle. We love to call the shots. We love to think that we know what's right. And a lot of times, like I said, we want to start out following God. Like we trust God enough to pray. We trust God enough to do whatever it is to move us forward. But there will always come a situation or a moment where we stop to trust him. And we start to think, I know what's right. I know what's best. And it might just simply come in a call or a direction of life, or it might even show up in the cost of what he's calling you to do. Maybe in your journey of following Jesus, you start to feel the Holy Spirit gently convicting you, letting you know that, hey, this sinful behavior, you need to give that up. And maybe in that moment, you're like, nah, the cost is too high. I'm going to go do my own thing. We have to understand something. And this is going to be the heartbeat of this message. is that we will always, listen, we will always display our distrust and or trust by our actions. We will always display either our distrust or our trust by how we act, not by what we say. It's easy to confess the things that we know we ought to confess. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, he's the Lord of all. And yes, he's the leader of my life. And yes, 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 I trust him, trust and trust him. And we start out that way. But what do you do when he leads you in a situation or to a circumstance where you feel like, oh, I don't know? What do you do in that moment? I'm telling you, you will display either your distrust or your trust in that moment season, in that moment, in that decision, always, and you will either meddle, go do your own thing, or you will choose to act like a child and complain, grumble, and blame God for leading you to this present moment, and you start to become convinced that maybe God isn't loving, God isn't good, God is no longer faithful. I want you to understand this morning, okay? God wants to lead you. He wants to lead you to a life of freedom, Like, that's what he's about. He wants to lead you to this life of freedom and that freedom is only found in worshiping and trusting in God. That's the only place it's found. Freedom is not found in being able to do whatever you want. Like, a lot of times in my decisions, like if I were to choose between eating brisket and a salad, 100% of the time, I'm gonna choose brisket. Is that the right decision? No, but I'm free to do that, but it's not the best thing. Freedom is found when we learn to let go and trust God and take his calls, his leading, and follow him the whole way. Freedom is found in our worship and trusting of God. We need to learn to be still and know that he is God. We need to know that he is God and how he leads us. So we have to learn to stop striving. We have to cease and desist meddling and just trust him. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to be in Exodus chapter 13 and 14. And we're going to see this story where you're going to hear the command to be still again. And it's not going to be given in a way that's supposed to be comforting, but it's almost said in in a rebuke because they weren't trusting God in this moment. So let's look at this. Exodus chapter 13. I'm going to start with verse 17 through 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, Notice this, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses, he took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you will carry up my bones with you from there. And they moved from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Now, just some quick background here. The, the people of Israel, they're the promised children of Abraham. They're God's chosen people. They were destined to enter into the promised land. And as the story goes in the Old Testament, Israel became enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. And during that time, they cried out to God to deliver them, to rescue them from the bondage of Egypt. So God raised up this person named Moses. And Moses came underneath God's direction and leadership to lead them out. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh is not a fan of the proposal when Moses would go, hey, let my people go. Let us go out so we can worship God. And he's like, no, why would I do that? And God said he hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh's heart was reluctant to listen to Moses or even to listen to God. And God said, okay, game on. 10 devastating plagues would come in order to clearly show that God is God and that he's surely going to lead them out one way or the other. And finally, after the Passover deal, when the firstborn would die, Pharaoh finally said, get out. Freedom. Like, don't just let a familiar story just kind of rattle through your heads. Like, think about this. 400 years, you're in captivity, enslaved, in bondage. You know the stories that you're the promised, you know, you're the children of God, and you're supposed to be heading to this promised land, and God is supposed to be faithful for 400 years. You're crying out. God finally comes, does the deliverance, and you see God's power in display. The plagues, which is not to be confused with global warming. It was this thing to show the glory and the power and the supremacy of God. You're seeing this. You're like, this is my God. And finally, they're heading out. Can you imagine the feeling that they had to have had in that time? The excitement, the thought about what their future is going to be and thinking about their kids and their grandkids and their grandkids' kids, like starting to think all about it. Maybe now it's true. Maybe now it's going to happen. They were freed from slavery. But what we're going to discover in this story was even though they were freed, they didn't act free. I'm going to explain that. They were free, but they surely didn't act free. Now, there's two pieces that I want to highlight here before we get into chapter 14 that we can't miss because if we miss this, the heart of chapter 14 will be missed. Like right away in verse 17, we are told that God did not lead them by the way of the land, although that was near. Like that was the conventional route. Like if you want to know the best way to get to the promised land, if ways was in effect back then, because you know, ways always finds the quickest route to wherever you're going, it would have said, you go by the way of the land. It would have taken two weeks to get there. Let that sink in that was the the logical way. You go this way. But God's like, listen, if they go that way, they're going to be having to fight some battles and they're not ready for that. They don't know me enough yet. They have to become reacquainted with me. They have to see who I am. And so God's like, if I go this way, they will retreat. And so he took them the long way. Around. He took him by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. Reason why this is important is because I want you to know that God always, always, always knows which way is best. Always. You have no reason to doubt God's guidance. He knows what way is best. And it's not sometimes, right? You don't just start out going, God, okay, you know, show me the path for my life. And, and all of a sudden you get to this one moment, where you're like, oh, maybe God forgot. Or maybe the internet connection isn't working. Maybe he needs to recalculate. God always leads to what's best. He always knows the right way. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. His ways aren't our ways. He sees things that we could never see. He's all knowing. He's all wise. He's ever present. And not only that, folks, listen, we say this all the time. God can only lead to good. He can only lead to life. He can do no other. That's not sometimes. That's all the time. So he didn't take them the easy way. He didn't take the shortcut. He didn't take the conventional route. He took them the long way. We have to understand this. We have to remember this. I don't know about you. I don't like that. I'm just going to be honest. I wish God's ways were my ways sometimes. Because like, I think I have this intuitive sense of direction and I know what's better than some satellites that, you know, really are kind of like foolproof in a lot of ways. I still think I know what's better. Even though, because I have my faith in Jesus, the presence of God dwells inside of me through the form of the Holy Spirit. There are still ridiculous moments, childish moments in my life where I have the audacity to believe I know better than him. And it's not because of my pride necessarily. It's just like, for some reason, all of a sudden I stop. I I don't know if he's good in this moment. I don't know if he's really going to be loving in this moment. I don't know if I can really trust him in this moment. We need to remember this. Like, even though it feels like God doesn't know what he's doing, like, even though it feels like his timing off and even though it feels like sometimes God's leaving you out to dry, he hasn't. His ways are always right. He's always leading you in the best way, always. God is about growing your faith. He's not about your comfort. This is something we say often from this pulpit. Is like, God doesn't care about your comfort. He cares about your faith. And if he has to put you in moments of tension in order for you to experience who he is, he will do it because with our faith, apart from faith, nobody can please God. He wants to lead us to freedom. Freedom is found in worshiping him, in trusting him. That is the posture of what it means to be still and to know he is God. Stop meddling, let go, let him be who he is. That's freedom. Now, the second thing that I want us to see here in verse 20 is um, they had probably the most tangible, miraculous awe-filled GPS system of all time. And I know that's a really corny joke. The pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire, this was a tangible manifestation presence of the Lord. There was no mistaking which way God wanted them to go. Zero. And I know it's tempting to go, well, if I had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, I would always follow God. Come on, let's not be foolish. Because to be honest, that presence of God, even though as is, is awesome as that was and as majestic as that was to, to see and to experience, there was no personal connection with it. There was no interacting with it. There was no relationship with it. Now for us who believe, listen, the fire, the pillar of fire through the Holy Spirit is inside of us. We can interact with the Holy Spirit. We can talk with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is constantly convicting us and prodding us, exhorting us, speaking to us sometimes, whispering sometimes, shouting. The Holy Spirit is opening doors and closing doors. Are we just open to listening? Are we opening to following? Are we open to being obedient to the Holy Spirit? Not only that, in a lot of ways, like we also kind of have, you know, right here, God's word, which is always true. It's without error. We know his heart. We know his will. So they start to think that because we have this tangible thing, like we'll, we'll always follow God. But in this story, we're no different than Israel. Because when this presence of God decided to lead them to the Red Sea, at first they were like, this is awesome. A beach vacation. A little R&R. They had no idea what was coming. And they were good with it. But all of a sudden, things turned And you start to realize that how they see God in that moment completely changed. And that's going to be our indicator of why I'm saying to you, they're freed from Egypt, but they're not acting free. Now let's look at chapter 14, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi (laughs) hi I have no idea if I said that right. Between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Siphon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh, and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now, here's the question Did the Israelites know this? Did they know what God was doing? No clue. They were just following the presence of God and now here they are, they are encamped in front of the Red Sea. They had no idea. God was doing something behind the scenes. He wanted to show his glory off to Pharaoh, to let Pharaoh know, I am God, you are not. The gods of Egypt are not gods at all. And because of Egypt was one of the dominating world powers, he was like, listen, I'm gonna get glory in all the world. But not only that, Israel at the same time is gonna come to see who I am. They're They're gonna come to realize that they can trust me. This is important for us to understand. This is a horrible military plan from our perspective. Like if we were just to look at a map, okay, the path that God told them on literally is a dead end. To go all the way back to Baal Siphon, where God just told Moses to lead the people, make camp there. If you were to go north, you would find yourself at an Egyptian fortress, a stronghold, a military camp. You can't go south because if you go south, you're going to be find yourself in the Egyptian desert. If you go west, well, that's the road back to Egypt. You go east, you're going to walk right into the sea. So God literally led them to a very precarious, vulnerable spot. So Pharaoh would hear and get Pharaoh to go after them. God is at work, but Israel has no clue what God is doing. Now look at this. Verse nine, the Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook them and encamped by the sea by pi hai in front of baal Now, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians are marching after them and they feared greatly and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. God knew that by going backwards, Pharaoh would come. And now all of a sudden, I mean, just imagine this. You're, you're just sitting there. You're just, you know, you and your family and your little kids, you're just sitting there. Maybe your kids are building some sand castles by the sea. Maybe they're skipping some stones. And all of a sudden, you just start to hear the ground shaking, just rumbling. You can you almost see like little tremors in the water. And you look over the distance. You don't see nothing. You hear it. And all of a sudden, you just see this dust cloud coming up. You're like, what is that? And as they get closer and closer and closer, you realize, oh my goodness, Pharaoh is right there. And all of a sudden, you start to look to the left, you look to the right, you look forward, you're like, we're trapped. Like, how would you feel? Like, literally, how would you feel in that moment? Would you be like, hey, God's good. Like, how would you feel in that moment? Would you not be like, oh my goodness, what do we, what do we do? you know, start to panic, grab your kids, maybe think about your shortcut, try to find other ways, alternatives. How would you feel? I mean, really, they have no reason No reason, scripturally speaking, no reason to be afraid because they saw the signs and wonders in Egypt. They saw God unleash these devastating plagues. They saw God answer and deliver them out of Egypt. They see God's presence 24-7 and they know that God led them to this moment. He's the one that led them to this moment. Very precarious. He's the one. How would you feel? Have you ever had a moment like this in your own life where you're like, I've been following you, God. I've been faithful. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do this. And all of a sudden, you're in this circumstance. Maybe you just lost your job. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a loved one you lost, whatever it is. And you're just like, God, God I, I don't understand. What are you doing? It's so easy for us to praise God from whom all blessings flow when all the blessings are flowing. When things look good, when you do have a little R&R by a beach. But what happens when the circumstance and the situation turns rather precarious and you don't know what to do? How do you see God in these moments? Has God changed? Has God's affection for you changed? Did God all of a sudden go, oh, oh, I didn't realize that by turning right, we'd be here in this situation. Um, hold on, guys. Like, th- did God all of a sudden forget what was happening? Did he all of a sudden, like just, you know, turn a blind eye on you? Like, no, God, he doesn't change. And they cried out to God. Like, you would read this and be like, well, that's the appropriate response. But really, in the Hebrew tense, it's like, they're not crying out. Like, God, save us. We're, we're placing our faith and our trust into you. They're not doing that. This crying out is a childish crying out, like when you like, punish your kid and they go, you no longer love me. They're crying out out of complete fear and angst and desperation and going, God's not gonna save us. They didn't believe for one moment that God was gonna save them, not one moment. Even though they saw it all, they knew that God led them here, right now they are doubting that God can even save them. They fully expected to be destroyed. Their behavior is so, so childish. It is so ridiculous. Now look at what they end up saying here, okay? They cried out to God, verse 11. So they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Did they trust God? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Are they really free? They're free from Egypt, but has Egypt been released in their own hearts? Freedom is really found only when we're worshiping and trusting God. They're not still. They're freaking out. Like like this is this is so ridiculous. Did we not tell you leave us alone? Um, the reality is, no, you did not. In fact, we can go back to Exodus 4, 29, when Moses came and told them like, hey, right? Look at this in verse 29. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together, the elders and the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord has spoken to Moses and the signs and did signs inside of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads in worship. They weren't saying, no, 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 Moses, don't come and meddle. We want to stay here. They were worshiping like, oh, my goodness. And yes, there were some hardships along the way, but they never said this to them. How quickly did they forget who God was? How quickly did they forget seeing everything? The presence of God, folks, listen, the presence of God has not left them. It is still right there. The cloud is there. The pillar of fire is there by day and night. It hasn't removed. It's still there. And they don't believe that God can save them. They turn on the leaders. They turn on Moses and saying, what did you do? Leave us alone. This is not worth it. Let's go back to slavery. It was better there. We read the story and you're like, really? Really? You, you really think that? But folks, come, come on. We would be in the same boat. We would be doing the same thing. We do it all the time. When you're fi- facing yourself, facing a difficult circumstance or situation, let's just be honest. We don't always address God with the greatest spiritual maturity, do we? We just need to be honest with ourselves. Real freedom is only found in worshiping and trusting God. And let me add this now in all circumstances. Because God can't change. If God could change, He wouldn't be God. God doesn't change. That means we can worship Him and trust Him in every circumstance. His ways are always best, His ways aren't our ways. For us now in this new covenant, we got a verse like in Philippians 1.6 where there's this promise that Paul, speaking inspired through the Holy Spirit, says, listen, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he who began the good work of transforming your life from death to life, moving you from death and destruction and sin to life in Christ, he who began that good work, he will finish it. He will complete it. He is faithful all the way, all the time, every circumstance, every moment. He never changes. You have to know this about God. And this is why we can worship. In fact, in John 4 in the New Testament, Jesus says that my father is looking for people who worship in spirit and in truth. Right? There's this connection. We've been made alive and our spirit is connected with his spirit and we're worshiping in the truth of who he is. That creates this posture inside of us where we're able to be still and to know that he is God. But anytime we start to meddle, And we start to go our own ways. And anytime we think it's not worth following God or that somehow God has changed his moment, listen, that's when we start to worry. That's when anxiety shows up and that's when fear wins. And we start to get tempted. Oh, maybe the old life was better. Maybe that way was better. Verse 13, Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. Verse 14. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent or in other translations in the Hebrew says you only have to be still. Fear not, You have no reason to fear. Stand firm. Don't waver. Don't backtrack. Don't think twice. And watch him work. You take your hands and stop meddling and trying to fix the circumstance and finagle the circumstance. You take your two hands and you grab hold of the promises of God and you stand firm and you watch him work. He will fight for you today. Like, listen, here's a promise I will tell you right now wherever you're at. If you're willing to place your trust and your faith in Jesus, He will fight for you today. If you grab hold of His word, He will fight for you right now. And the exhortation is you just have to be still. This, Moses is not trying to encourage them. He's not trying to comfort them here. This is a negative imperative. The Hebrew tone is, is stern. It's rebuking. It's as if Moses is saying, Listen, you have absolutely no reason to fear. So stop being afraid. Stop wavering. Stand firm. You will see him work. You have already, and you're going to see it again. Just be still. This leads me to think about one of my favorite passages, Isaiah 30, 15. And in that passage, it says, in quietness and trust is our strength. In quietness in trust is our strength. That's the humble confidence. And I think about that. I'm like, why is it saying that quietness and trust is our strength? Like the reality is, is like when you're trusting him, you're not fretting. When you're trusting him, you're no longer worried. When you're trusting him, no matter what happens in your circumstances, you're able to be calm. You're able to be quiet. And what that means is that you're able to take all of your worries and all your anxieties and you're able to cast it on him because he cares. And he's gonna lead you. And he's gonna fight for you. And he's always gonna lead you to life because he can do no other. And so you resolve that and you're like, My spirit is going to be quiet before him. I trust him. That is my strength. My strength is not in trying to figure it out on my own. My strength is in trying to meddle and manipulate the circumstances for my good. My strength comes in being still. This is a posture of worship. It's a byproduct of freedom. And now I want to say this. And I want to land on this thought. We always want to move into the promised land, the good things. But our journey to the Red Sea is just as important as crossing it. We have to understand that. Sometimes when God leads, it feels like there's no obstacles in your life. And you're like, wow, this is great. But then when you hit those circumstances, don't for a moment think that God somehow has changed. Don't for a moment think that God somehow has forgotten you or has tricked you and deceived you, is now leaving you out to dry for your ruin and destruction. God has something greater in plan. He has a way where he's going to get glory to the people around, but also to you he's going to show you things about himself and when you get to experience more of who he is your faith gets galvanized inside of you you grow in your faith and when that happens you're moving more and more and more into walking and living in the freedom that he has given you through jesus christ Let me ask this question, and I want you to think about this. Who made it through? Who made it through to the other side? The rest of the story goes that God parted the Red Sea, and every single Israelite, from the oldest to the youngest, passed. Those who had the strongest faith to the one who doubted beyond all measure, they all passed over across the sea. But the enemies of God did not. Sin has no hold on you. The grave has no hold on you. If you are a believer in Jesus, the old has come, gone, the new has come. You are free. Walk and live in that freedom. Learn to find your strength through a posture of quietness and trust. You can trust him. He initiated all of this. He's the one who sent his son Jesus into this world to do for you what you can never do for yourself. In a decisive moment, he made a way to deliver you from the grips of sin and hell and death to transfer you into the kingdom of his beloved son where now you have life. And Romans 8 reminds us that if he gave us his son... Would he not also give us all things? Like what what could separate us from the love of God? Absolutely nothing. Think about this. Could your circumstance that you're in right now where you felt like God has misled you or in your worry and your anxiety and all the things that are gripping at you and barking at you, do you think that can separate you from the love of God? Or can you have enough faith this moment to take a step back and go, God, I'm going to trust that you are doing something that I have no clue. But your word says that you do things that are measurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And you tell me in your word that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. You tell me in your word that you're going to finish the work, that you're never going to abandon me. I'm going to, I'm going to trust that. And in that moment, be still. Just be still and watch him work. Father, I thank you for your word. God, and I, and I, and I know that words like this, they, they can come in all sorts of different shapes and forms. And even for me, like the, the scattered thoughts in my own mind, Lord, I just trust your spirit to turn water into wine, that you will take the words that came from my mouth and you will allow that to get into people's hearts through the power of your spirit. Lord, I want to pray for my friends out there right now who've maybe, have kind of maybe thrown their faith to the side because of their present circumstances. They don't understand what they're doing. They don't understand what you're doing. They don't understand why they're in, where this this place they're at, or whatever it is. I just pray for your spirit to be present, to lead them. Lord, I pray that they would hear these words and go, man, I have no reason to fear. I have no reason to fear. Through the power of his spirit, I I can stand firm. I I shouldn't be losing ground. I can stand firm. And God, I'm gonna trust you that you are gonna work this out. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we truly would Learn to be still and to know that you are God. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.